Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. On today's episode, Dennis Miller joins me to talk about fiscal governance and the board of directors. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. I am actually very excited about our guest today, uh, Dennis Miller. Dennis is the founder and chairman of DCM Associates. And when I transitioned from the private sector to the nonprofit sector 15 years ago, Dennis was probably the first person I met with and was wonderful enough to sit with me. I think you sat with me, Dennis, for like three to four hours and walked me through all the career paths and gave me all sorts of tips. So welcome, Dennis. Thank you for being here. Amy, I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. Dennis, could you please just give us a little bit of information about you, about DCM Associates, your background? So I, um, I, I started the company, it wasn't really a company, in 2005, after a 25-year career in a hospital medical world. I was a young CFO at the age of 34 as a, in a hospital. I the executive vice president chief operating office for a major Catholic medical center up in Bergen County. Uh, became a corporate executive uh, for seven years in a public healthcare company. Became president CEO of Somerset Medical Center Foundation at the age of 49. And after a total of 25 years, I had the opportunity to do something different and made the decision to dedicate my life to helping these nonprofit organizations and became an advisor to nonprofit boards and leadership and strategy and retreats and coaching. And then about 10 years ago, whenever, you know, people asked me for succession plans, leadership, succession and search. And at the time was just sort of me. And then, you know, Michelle Hickey joined me and it's grown. Now we have a team of, you know, 12 and 14 people nationally. We're a virtual company. We do a ton of executive search in the nonprofit um, arena, social impact arena at the CEO, C-suite level do a lot of board and leadership evaluation assessments and coaching and retreats and all that kind of stuff here. And, you know, I've written a few books in between. And Mrs. Fritz, my seventh grade English teacher at Abe Lincoln High School in Carteret, New Jersey, where I grew up, knew I wrote two sentences ago that she'd have a heart attack. If she knew I wrote five books, she'd have, I don't know, a massive heart attack or a party in the cemetery. I don't know, but, you know, really having a good time. Thank you, Dennis. And I know you're kind of like my go-to person when I have any random nonprofit question about anything, because as you just mentioned, you kind of do it all. Uh, I think the focus of today is on your role with board governance. You do lots of work with boards of directors. And I think it's really interesting to have that conversation and just your general thoughts on board governance, particularly as it pertains to managing the fiscal health of nonprofit organizations. So could you talk about maybe your work there and just your thoughts around fiscal management in general at the board level? Yeah, well, I I always tell people nonprofit is your your tax status, not your business plan. So one of the key things that I would every board and every organization is you've got to have more revenue than expenses. And it's it's challenging as in any business challenging, but in the nonprofit space, particularly challenging because so many relied upon sort of, you know, public funding, state, county, federal funding, and it's been limited or cut back because of all the massive budget deficits, et cetera. So the, from a board's point of view, the most important thing is for them to understand that no margin, no mission, that you've got to pay attention to the numbers, 
that would be my first important point to on non-public governance is the idea that you got to operate in the positive. You know, like in every aspect of life, Amy, there are, are stereotypes. And in non-profit, sometimes people are just like, you know, that they have a non-profit mentality. They don't think about the bottom line, but you have to. I mean, you can't, you just can't be so gung-ho on your mission and forget that you can't make payroll. Um, yep. And those are those crucial things. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of just the role of the board, I know a lot of most organizations, and I tend to work with smaller organizations than I think you do, but we typically will see a board treasurer. And the role of the board treasurer, I would argue, varies based on the size of the organization. And I'm actually curious, just from your vantage point, what should be the role of the board treasurer? The biggest part of particularly fiscal area is the board's legal responsibilities of fiduciary responsibility, which is all the issues of, you know, making sure that things are done correctly. And I always ask people at a retreat or a conference, you know, and half joking, why do you have a nonprofit board? And they give me all these reasons. I said, well, there's two reasons. One, because it's legally required to have a nonprofit. It's legally required. And people, oh, yeah, 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 and I get it, yeah, yeah, I get it. And then I said, the other reason, because you can't do it yourself. You need someone to help you. I tell everybody in general, I mean, this, I think, would be important here. I believe there's four stages of board governance in the nonprofit world. The first stage is the founding board, the hands-on board. And then eventually, boards evolve and then, you know, become more strategic and business advisors. So we may advise your CEO, we may evaluate your CEO, but it's a little bit more of like all in favor is like, I, and the, and the executive director is like, I need their support and say yes, but I don't really want your opinion. However... Both on any level of fiscal accountability, the real role of a board that's evolved lately where it's where the board becomes very effective, the most really mature board, is when the board and the CEO are in linked step in partnership with leadership. It's just there's, the board has a sense, feels a sense of ownership, of connection, that the vision is their vision as well. They want to help you as much as you want to help. They're asking the right questions. They're you know, inquiring here. It's not just about accepting things as they are. I've never thought of it that way, but that makes a ton of sense. A lot of our clients have annual operating budgets that are under a million dollars and quite a few of them are startups. So I will frequently see this transition from like stage one to stage two, founding board to more mature board right. can be a very painful process. And I think it it's particularly on the, the finance and accounting side of things. So you have a board treasurer who maybe was even like doing the books frequently and managing and uh, producing reports. But now you're at a point where you can either bring in a bookkeeper or you can outsource. And I it can be very hard. It can be very hard to make that transition. And I'm curious... I suspect that you've probably worked with organizations kind of transitioning through all of these different phases. And I'm curious what what tips you give. Like, how do you tell the board, like, it's time to let go a little and step into that strategic and advisory role, which is wildly beneficial? Well, a couple of things. They all have life cycles. Organizations have life cycles, you know. Individuals, I always tell people, you know, I'm in the fourth quarter of life. I'm hoping for double overtime. You know, we all have sort of cycles here. Boards have cycles. You know, it's interesting, um, Amy, in the nonprofit space, there's very little board training. You know, if you go on the Board of Education, most states, you got to get certified, go through board training, board of education. It's amazing to me there's no board training required from foundation. I think there should be. 
And some boards will give you, you know, sort of a half day, two hour, you know, lunch and breakfast orientation and give you the bylaws and say goodbye. And everybody's well meaning, you know, there were, you know, million plus nonprofits around the country, forget how many there are globally around the world. So you've got, you know, what, 20 million, 50 million people involved in nonprofit boards. And they all mean well, they all come, you know, they could be president of the company, head of sales, school teachers, you know, social media advisors, everything, fiscal people, CPAs, lawyers, but there's no training. And so you just go into the room and you leave your intelligence and sense of humor at the door and you just follow everybody else. And then you raise your hand and, and say, I, I do, you know, well, I'm fair say I do. So the board needs to play a much bigger role. And particularly in our fiscal side, it's like, what's the plan to make sure we're operating in a positive note? What is the plan? And I tell you something that I've seen that is a death knell is I've seen people just sort of cut their way. There was a drive to its profitability, but so they cut programs. The problem is you've got to grow your way to success. There's, there's no way to cut your way to success. You're kind of cutting your mission. And what a lot of people fail to do is understand the important revenue source of philanthropy. You know, what most, most nonprofits don't do a good job of is communicating their, their success or communicating their impact. Amen. You know, they, they can tell, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're a $2 million operation or, or $500,000 operation. And they can tell how many programs they have, how many people they see a year. But very few do a good job communicating their achievements, communicating their success or the impact or the value they have. And that's where people will make investments. And so... Biggest role the board can play in a nonprofit is ensuring there is a plan in place uh, for fiscal management, we certainly receivable management, expense management, but you've got to find new partners in the community that will invest in your success to help you bottom line. There's just no way around it. I actually love that point that you just made about communication in particular, because you know, frequently I'm serving as the outsourced. CFO or our firm is helping to coach the CEO, present the financial statements to the board of directors. And I find that our most successful engagements are when we can show a board or even the finance committee, here is a summary of the financials. These are the five things that you all need to know and make it really clear and not just, you know, not like here is the deficit, it's $500,000 or whatever it is, but like very specifically, the board giving target is $75,000. We are $25,000 short right now. What are we going to do? And then we can all sit and have productive fundraising conversations. I think if you can make this simple, you can have very productive meetings and the board feels empowered. I, I think so many boards spend so much time trying to understand financials, that it, it really like all comes down to presentation. Yes. No, you're right. No, you do, it does come down to presentation. The biggest challenge that a CEO or executive has with a board is to get them engaged. You don't want them just coming in and, you know, signing off on, you know, get their approval and signing off on a resolution, banking resolution. So here's what I tell people. Yes, you know, you have a board agenda. Usually you get a CEO update and a finance update report and something on programs, facilities, or something about the gala, something like that. But here's something I, and I mean it sincerely, create a question for each meeting, maybe at the end, that goes something like this. Okay, now that we finish the committee reports, we're going to talk about 
what value do we provide to our community? Uh, what's the impact we're having in our community? Or how do we measure our success as an organization? This is some, I'll never forget this. It had to be at least 15 years ago, at least. So I was asked to do a workshop or retreat on fundraising because I had a reputation coming the back and said, well, there's someone who could raise a lot of money. I did. I was able to raise a lot of money, but I'll think about it. And it was an organization that dealt with, you know, sexual assault, domestic violence, tough stuff. And I never forget starting, and I didn't know anybody on this board. There was one man, believe it or not, it was mostly women, one man that worked for one of my board members. And I asked him in the beginning, could they tell me their top two achievements? And they looked at me like I had hair on my head. And I remember the silence. And finally, a woman spoke up and says, we did our budget on time. And I had to keep a straight face because I realized, oh, my God. And another woman says, we only spend so much money on fundraising. And I'm like, oh, my God. They don't even know their achievements. So finally... A woman in the back of the room on the board said, Dennis, we do an alternative learning system that we treat children who have been subjected to domestic violence or sexual assault. We treat them so they can have healthy relationship with surrogate parents, biological parents, teachers, classmates, etc." And I'm like, grand slam, home on the bottom line thing, what could be more of an achievement? And I said, how well do you communicate that? And so, well, we do a little better internally, but not externally. I said, that's why you're not raising money. So it, it just, it's amazing to me, you know, we've got to touch the hearts. I like the idea of bringing someone that you've served into your board meeting and for five or 10 minutes and tell their story. I love the idea. That's a great idea. And I know people do it at the gala, but I'd like to bring it into the board. Because you forget, you know, you get lost in all the shuffle here. And setting the tone as exciting and like, hey, look at what we're doing. That pushes fundraising. I mean, that pushes, that improve employee morale, board morale, and that all leads to positive results for the organization. I see it time and time again. You can, you can like feel it when you, it's a little trickier on Zoom, but you used to be able to like feel it when you walked into the room. Yeah. Like well, how, like, and I'm sure you see it all the time. Well, a couple of things here, I, you know, I sometimes do, you know, a workshop or a speaker or clients or retreats about, you know, why people give money. And, and I ask people, you know, why do you give money? And so there's like four or five key reasons, but there's two that are really crucial these days. So believe it or not, the number one reason people give money because someone asked them. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like they asked. It's like. I mean, I'm all for praying to God, but, you know, asking is, is a big source of help. Okay? And when I, I give up, people ask me, what I, could you give? And I, I like them, and I, I can give, I give. And yes, they give to someone they trust and they respect and admire. And yes, they give because they want to make a difference. But there's two major reasons, certainly over the past decade, that about why people give. People give to success, not to distress. So when you come out there with the, you know, 10 cup begging, you know, like the beggar out in front of the Port Authority in New York with selling pencils on a 10 cup, you come out about, you know, begging because if we don't get more money, we're going out of business. You're going out of business. But the more you can talk about the success you're having, the impact you're having, but if you can have those that you serve tell the story about how 
you help them restore a new life or a new home or after a fire or whatever, and the people in the floods in Kentucky and all this tragedy. And you can see that my dollar is going somewhere. It has a big impact, the major impact. The other thing people need to remember, that people will give to the needs of those you serve, not your organizational needs. So it sounds like a play on words. But if you can focus your communication on needs of those you serve and less on your organizational needs, you'll do better. Going back to your prior point, part of the role of the board is to assess the CEO. How does that translate to the CFO? Yeah, a couple of things here. I, uh, a, the title is CEO, executive director, or president. It's their job to evaluate the CFO. However, it's totally appropriate to get feedback from the chair of the finance committee or members of the finance committee. That's totally appropriate. Now, they're not going to evaluate him or her, but I do think it's important to ask them what their thoughts are. Another perspective that we help clients with is not only an evaluation process, but a 360 leadership development process. So you might hit all your goals as a financial officer, but be perceived as someone that, you know, doesn't listen, too aggressive, doesn't get along with people or whatever. And so that is all important here. So, but the CFO should be evaluated really by the CEO. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. With feedback potentially. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what they think is important. It's like, you know, what do you think? And that, that really, you just hit an interesting point. And I know a lot of executive directors that I work with, they're, they're like terrified of their board. And, but I think if it can be more collaborative and more, and more casual, like, hey, what do you think about this? And let me get thoughts. Because that's, if you can use the board almost as advisors or, or to a certain extent, or is that, what are your thoughts? No, I know. You're right on the money here. And what the CEO should do is move away from the fear of the board as this, you know, authoritarian figure that's going to fire your butt to one that becomes your partner. And, and, and same thing as we talked about, asking your finance chair, how is your CFO doing? Ask your board about their ideas, their questions, their thoughts. Engage them. Let them help you. They want to help you. And they, the problem is we don't often let them help us and we kind of keep it at arm's length and then we wonder why they're not engaged or they don't show up at board meetings. But it's, it's crucial. What are your thoughts on board term limits? Yeah, I, it's, it, I think at the end of the day, you need term limits because otherwise you, you won't get fresh blood. And I've seen organizations that literally have board members for 40 years. And you know, one hand, it's like, God bless them. But another hand, it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like it's time to move on. I remember doing work a long time ago with a, a behavioral healthcare organization, trade association statewide. And every member of the board was the past president. I said, well, how do you bring in new ideas to plant? They didn't. But I... I do believe that it's very important to keep people involved with all the institutional memory for as long as you can in different roles. You don't have to be on the board. You can be on the governance committee. I've had board members in my life and medical center days that weren't on the board, but they were on the finance committee or the audit committee or the strategic planning committee and utilize them. So I think term limits are important because you got to bring in first blood. Thank you, Dennis, so much for all of your time. I think it would be great if you wouldn't mind taking a minute or two and just giving some general wrap-up closing comments. To We've covered quite a bit today to tie all of this together. You know, one of the fabulous things, the great things, 
about the whole non-public sector. It is the glue that keeps communities together through good times and bad. You know, right now this country's going through, you know, certain parts of it, floods and fires and, and extreme heat and just all kind of, you know, climate issues that's going to get worse, I think. Um, and economies up and down, recessions, inflation, all those things. But the thing that keeps everybody together really is the non-public sector. And so we have to kind of, you know, appreciate ourselves, thank ourselves. It's a glue. And yet we need to find a way to become, I like to use the word high performing, but more engaged and, you know, ask people what they think, ask people their ideas. It's just, it's, it, it, you know, good board governance helps the bottom line, helps the fiscal bottom line. It goes hand in hand together. And if you see a well-organized board and a well-organized leadership team, they're going to have a good organization. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate your time today. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Alex Brower, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.